And the reality is the role of men at home has changed. And his business model for 30 years was successful on guys who wanted overtime. And in the past, like you were saying about the women not working, in the past, if your wife wasn't working, you wanted overtime because that was the greatest contribution of the husband was to bring home more money. And so you were actually doing your family a favor working late <laughs> to bring in more money. Now things have flipped and it's the opposite. A working mom does not want her husband working overtime because they're both already trying to balance and share and shift back and forth the domestic duties at home, the childcare pickup and drop off, you know, the sick days, the our kids in quarantine days, all of that stuff. And so now you've got more houses that have 80 hours of income. And so people don't want to work 50 or 60 plus hours anymore. And that's part of that reset, right? It was like we pushed and pushed and pushed. And now they're saying, no, getting our life back is more important than having the extra pay. The topics and opinions expressed in the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4CY Radio, its employees or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability explicit or implied shall be extended to W4CY Radio or its employees or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4CY Radio. Welcome back, everyone, to the Geeks, Geezers, and Googleization Show, the home of Googleization Nation, where we talk with HR and business thought leaders about the crazy shift going on in the world of business, technology, and HR. Here's your host, Ira Wolf. Welcome back, everyone, to Geek Skeezers and Googleization Nation. Pleased to see everybody this week. Uh, by the way, I'm doing my best Barry White impersonation uh, this week. If, if, if life wasn't busy enough with all this VUCA stuff, volatile, uncertain, complex, and ambiguous going on and, and trying to keep pace with everything, I got a head full of other stuff kind of making things interesting. So that's I'm a year. Last year, I guess one of the benefits of COVID last year, Jason, was we were all masked. We were all indoors. We didn't communicate with other people. We weren't spreading germs. And now we're back to doing that. And everybody I talk to seems to either have either is is currently has the flu, a cold, something going on. Yeah. Um, and especially when you have kids, you got your four kids. We had our grandkids, two year old and, and two month old, almost two month old, not quite yet. Yeah. And uh, certainly they're they're spreaders of germs. So that's right. Yeah. Last winter was basically a paradise for introverts, right? right. <laughs> now, now that everyone's starting to get out again and, and now we're in this world where it can't be a cold anymore. It's like, as soon as you get the sniffles, you're at home, taking a test, wondering if it's COVID, um, right. just has completely shifted our thinking of, of how we think about even the cold and flu now. Yep. I whipped out the uh, pulse oximeter the other day just to see where, where that was, you know, as kind of a test. So for sure. But we've got uh, we got another great show lined up today. Uh, we got Carol Saletto. Thanks for the intro. Kara wrote uh, two years ago, I think, pretty recently about staying power well in advance of what we're, most organizations are facing now is the great resignation or the turnover tsunami. Lots of names for it, but whatever it is, it, it's really, really bad. I think every day, you know, certainly every day a new article comes out, something in the media, 
every organization we talked to. Last week, I had the really nice opportunity on Thursday to speak uh, to the Talent Acquisition Council at Conference Board. So some pretty high, some leaders representing some really progressive, aggressive, best practice organizations, not I'm not allowed to kind of release the names of, of those that were there, but you'd recognize many of the names and everybody from the East Coast, the West Coast, those doing global, those doing local business, those in services, products, distribution, telecommunication, you name it. Everybody had the same story. Can't find enough people. And, and just that day, people were getting notices that X number of people handed in the resignations or didn't show up for work or quit. So it's the, the problem is pretty ramp, rampant. Absolutely. I, I spoke with someone earlier today, a head of HR, and she said for them, the problem of finding people actually is hitting right now. She said two, three months ago, they didn't have as big of a challenge, but right now it's getting really bad. And so again, just like you're saying, um, this isn't something that's going away. And in fact, the McKinsey report that we've referenced before that looks at how are things going to be toward the end of the year? They're forecasting that there's still 40% of employees are likely to leave mm-hmm. their current employer, yeah. even without an offer in hand. So there's still going to be a lot of moving and shaking, even as we close out 2021. Yeah, it, it's it's going to be a long, this is just the first chapter. I think uh, people are still writing the rest of this book. And that's why, you know, can't even say nip it in the bud. It's for many organizations, they're already behind the eight ball. And they're going to have to change pretty quickly. But uh, we've got a great guest today. And and uh, I guess we should not delay that any further because she's got a lot to say, a lot of good tips. And uh, we're going to be talking with Kara Saletto. And uh, her, her book, as I mentioned, was Staying Power. It's a great book. Highly recommend it for, for everybody. And then her organization is called the Magnet Organization. And I, I was just sharing with her right before, I remember years ago, and there's a certification for this uh, for nurses. And they talked about how do you create a magnet organization? And I think it's just a, a great, it's a great metaphor for what people need to do, both how do you attract the right people? And then how do you keep them? I guess, how do you reverse the polarization? <laughs> when, once you got them in, how do we keep them and, and not, you know, not lock them in, but do it do it in a positive way. So let's uh, bring on Kara right now. There she is. Hello, hello. Hi, Kara. Hey, welcome to Geek Skeezers and Googleization. So excited to be here. And what a crazy time, huh? <laughs> yeah, it's for sure. Uh, this is, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, I, I play more in the talent acquisition space, or the hiring space, but the problem is there's a, there's a revolving door. I mean, and I won't even say that there's a back door. There is no back door. The problem is it's just wide, <laughs> laid wide open and, and people are just walking through the front, walking out the back and, and it's challenging. I don't, have you ever seen a time like this, Kara? Oh, absolutely not. No. I mean, even just the numbers, if you look at the demographics of the massive shortage that we have right now and the shrinking participating labor force, that has just blown my mind because some of the things we're seeing now we're already in the trajectory, right? I mean, I've been doing nothing but retention work for almost nine years. And so we saw this before the pandemic, but then the pandemic kind of expedited that trajectory and the change, I would say, on things, just like virtual, right? We were headed to more Zoom meetings and more virtual, but then COVID really pushed us over that technology barrier. And so I think, you know, I wrote Staying Power in 2018 and I was I was tooting the horn of, you know, like (laughs) the warning 
people are leaving. They're not going to put up with this anymore. They're not going to work for bad bosses. You cannot continue to cut training and development for people or for the leaders and think that you're going to have a good culture just by chance, right? It has to be intentional. So we've been talking about that for years, but then COVID just expedited those expectations. And I think that is what caused the great resignation, or I call it the great reset, <laughs> because it's more of the, you know, the pendulum swung too far for workaholics and pushing everybody to their limits. And now we're going to reset that as a workforce of all ages. So yeah, lots going on. <laughs> and I've been talking about the perfect labor storm. So it was, you were not going to have enough people. So resignations were always a problem, but they weren't as much of a problem because there was a lineup of people, especially going back to the my heyday when, you know, I was a little bit younger and you applied for a job and, and there were, you know, when, during the baby boomer, when the baby boomers entered the workforce. And then in addition to the baby boomers, then you had all the women that were entering the workforce mm-hmm. through the, the 70s, 80s and 90s. So there was just always somebody waiting in the wings. It just wasn't a problem. And so I think the resignations, you know, whether whatever we want to call it, retention was a problem, but, you know, it just wasn't the squeakiest wheel. Yes. Yeah. And now it's a super squeaky wheel. In fact, it's, it's flat, you know, it's pretty flat right. and, and can't go very far. So you mentioned before just some of the, some of the statistics, and, and I'll, I'll just throw these two out because I think these tend, tend to blow everybody's mind, you know, with this, that sort of camouflaged the retention, well, both recruitment and retention issues. 70 years ago, it seems like an eternity ago, but 19, 1948, when the first time that the Bureau of Labor Statistics started to study this stuff, that 32% of women were in the workplace. So one out of three working age women actually worked and one out of 10 women actually had college degrees. So most of the women were frontline workers, seamstresses, secretaries, you know, nurses, teachers, that, that was sort of the realm. As of 2019, 60% of women were in the workplace. It almost doubled. And, but the other factor is that 60% of the women are now getting degrees. At one point, it was 90% men got college degrees. Now it's 60% of women get college degrees. And the, and the men simultaneously, while the women were entering the workforce, the men were dropping out. So in, at the same time in 1948, there was, 50, there was 82%, four out of five men of working age men were working. They had jobs. They got paychecks. As of last month, it was 62%. So if we just look at the number of people that are available, and then on top of that, the population doubled. So we have all these people that now need additional services, whether they're kids, whether they're elderly, you know, older, whether they're fit in in that middle band, everybody needs more services. So, and we have fewer people participating in it. So it's just amazing. So I think we just need to put that out on the table of how hard it, how important it is to retain people. Right. Now, you've you've identified and I love this analogy and I threw it out there in sort of our marketing, you know, throwing everything out on the table. <laughs> you identified five critical, essential reasons why this happened. Can you can you go through? Can you identify those of why we're sort of in this mess? <laughs> yeah. So the the table, the issues on the table refers to more of the generational dynamics that are in the workplace and what has happened over the last 50 years that really changed so much. So you've got, it's it's technology, 
authority, work-life balance is the B, loyalty and entitlement are the five. So just a quick overview of those, you know, change didn't happen as quickly in the 40s, 50s, 60s, even 70s as it did when it was expedited in the 80s and 90s and 2000s because of the internet and you know all kinds of new technologies and access to that. So you've got folks who were raised in previous decades that are more more hesitant to change, right? If it ain't broke, don't fix it is how they were raised. Where I was raised more so out with the old, in with the new, there's an app for that now. Like, come on, let's go, right? So that's one of the big differences. Of course, authority and the respect for elders, respect for titles and seniority and things, that really changed because we used to be very hierarchical. You respect your elders, why? Because I said so. <laughs> and then we shifted over time, you know, the other end of that spectrum now is more egalitarian. We're all in this together. We all bring value. No one person at the organization is more important than another, you know, that type of mentality, which is how I run my organization for sure. So you have the hierarchy versus the egalitarian. Work-life balance used to be you leave your personal crap at home <laughs> and you and you come to work and you work. And now we are hiring the whole person, anxiety and all, and four-legged fur babies who need a trip to the vet, you know, whatever it is, it's all 24-7 life and work-life integration now. So lots of changes in that space over the last few decades. Loyalty used to be loyalty for loyalty's sake in that you made a commitment, you stick it out. That was your word, that's it. But then going back to some statistics, the Bureau of Labor Statistics started tracking mass layoffs in 1995. So prior to that, people didn't see a lot of mass layoffs, but I was born in 81. I happen to be one of the oldest millennials. And so I saw my mom get laid off and laid off and laid off because the internet caused globalization and all this outsourcing and, and whatnot. And so while my mom was told, you stick it out, you weather the storm, right? Instead, she told me, look out for yourself. And if you're not happy, get out. <laughs> Right. It's like a totally different bringing as far as loyalty goes, because she said the company doesn't truly have my best interest at heart. If times are tough, they're going to cut me, which we saw happen. Right. She got the raw end of that loyalty deal. And then the last one there is entitlement, which is really just, again, our society has expedited the access and the exposure to things. I mean, now who isn't entitled in the United States? We get what we want, when we want it, where we want it, customized to how we want it. You know, whether it's a special order at a drive-through or it's, I want to watch a certain episode of a certain show at a certain time, right? We couldn't even do that 20 years ago. <laughs> and so we just need to realize that our entire society is much more entitled today, having access to everything that, that we have access to. So those are kind of some of the issues on the table of where I see a lot of conflict in the workplace between the way it's always been done and the new workforce saying, I would never work at a place that's like that. <laughs> Not going to happen. Yeah, there is so much to unpack there. Right? <laughs> 
So let me start at the end. I mean, just on, we did this interview yesterday. There was a survey that was just released maybe Monday or Tuesday, and they talked about 69% of all remote workers holding two jobs. And I was asked to comment on that. Hmm. Uh, on one hand, we hear this entitlement that young people just don't want to work as hard. You know, millennials who are in their 40s. I mean, you're, you're one of the younger ones, but the older millennials, you know, are in their 40s now are, are still blamed for everything. I mean, everything wrong with the universe is, is blamed on a millennial. Yeah. Uh, and we, we, everybody just needs to get over that. But the, but the reality of it is, is that when, although older older people, and I have, to, I guess I have to include myself in there, because not, and I'm not one of them, I'm the millennial in the baby boomer body, but, mm -hmm. uh, but people point at younger people as they don't have a good work ethic. And yet, at the same time, a question comes up about what do you think about people working two jobs? And most of the people working two jobs, or many of the people working two jobs, happen to be millennials and Gen Z. And they're working a full-time job. They may be working two full-time jobs. They're also going to school. I talked to, I'm teaching a master's in leadership class, and, and they're almost there's two people that aren't millennials, like everybody else is, and they're working a full-time job. Some of them have a part-time job. Some of them are parents, and they're going to school. To me, that defies any logic that these this, this group of people are in, feel entitled mm -hmm. and are lazy. Yeah, so Ira, I had, I had a client that was a concrete group. And I was teaching the generational dynamics and all of that. And this guy just stopped me and he goes, Kara, no way. No, they're just lazy. I can't find anybody today who's willing to work 60 hours anymore. They're just lazy. And I said, I'm sorry, did you just say 60 hours? <laughs> because he has a certain number of concrete trucks, you know, the ready mix spinners like that, right? He has a certain amount of trucks. And they are weather dependent. You cannot pour concrete in the rain. So they have to, you know, schedule around the rain and there's a lot of hurry up and wait. You know, they may get to a job site, not be able to pour because stuff's not ready, whatever. Right. So he, he explained his business model and said, we have to have a 60 hour a week guy for every truck. And I say guy, cause it was literally all men, <laughs> you know, Another so, issue. right, right. So, so he said, we have to have a 60 hour a week person for each truck. That's how it's scheduled. And by the time we got finished talking and I'll, I'll explain a little backstory too, but by the time we got done talking, the solution was you have to buy more trucks because he was trying to do all of his capacity around one person per truck and that they had to maximize the time of that truck. And the reality is the role of men at home has changed and his business model for 30 years was successful on guys who wanted overtime. And in the past, like you were saying about the women not working in the past, if your wife wasn't working, you wanted overtime because that was the greatest contribution of the husband was to bring home more money. And so you were actually doing your family a favor working late <laughs> to bring in more money. Now things have flipped and it's the opposite. A working mom does not want her husband working overtime because they're both already trying to balance and share and shift back and forth the domestic duties at home, the childcare pickup and drop off, you know, the sick days, the our kids in quarantine days, all of that stuff. 
And so now you've got more houses that have 80 hours of income. And so people don't want to work 50 or 60 plus hours anymore. And that's part of that reset, right? It was like we pushed and pushed and pushed. And now they're saying, no, getting our life back is more important than having the extra pay. So this guy had to wrap his head around the new workforce didn't align with his business model and his capacity planning. So then, you know, he decided I got to buy a couple more trucks and he, he can still offer some of the, some of the people who work there want 60 hours. That's great. Do that. But then these trucks over here are going to be 40 hour trucks mm -hmm. instead, you know, and we, we kind of rebuilt that plan together. Yeah. And it's a great solution and it talks, I mean, in, in this organizational change class that I'm teaching, we're really talking about business models and having people question it. And, and there's a great article that came out and, and I always forget about it until my cycle to teach again comes along. And it was, was on Harvard Business Review and it was called Strategy Shapes Structure. Okay. It was mm -hmm. Strategy Shapes Structure. And in the past, we said, well, this is the cards we've been dealt. This is the environment in which we live. Okay. So I've got 50 trucks and in the past it worked because we had 50 people and everybody worked. And now we have to think about strat how to take strategy to shape the environment. How do we, how do we create the world we want to live in? How do we create the business model we want to live in? Yeah. And, and, and in fact, that's what workers have done. They, they said, we're not playing by your rules anymore. We don't have to do that. And I, and I love your point about, you know, the fact is, is not only we still talk about men and women as married, but think of how many single moms there are, single dads, divorced parents that they that they're juggling and it's my week so one week maybe they can work 60 hours but the yes. next week they can't <laughs> oh and then you have blended families too ira oh. don't forget that oh. you know my sister has kids from two different fathers and yeah. then they're different schedules you know what i mean and so yeah you're absolutely right it's it's one size no longer fits all and i'll tell you that brings up another example one of my home health clients they are now in a situation where, you know, it used to be the customer is always right and whatever schedule the customer wants. You know what happens right now if you call for home health and this is happening across the country, you call for home health. They tell you what hours they can provide care care to your to your loved one right it isn't you call in and say i need monday wednesday friday from eight to noon right no you call and they say okay we have a worker that has to get her kids on the bus and then she can be there at nine and she only does monday tuesday wednesday so and she has to leave by 2 30 you know to get to her kids so now it's flipping and the workers are calling the shots you see the same with restaurants right now that are closing on certain days or shortening their hours because the workers are saying, I'm not going to work that shift not, or I'm not working seven days anymore. It, it's driving it. me crazy because almost within walking distance from here is there a Dunkin' Donuts oh. and, and they were open 5 a.m. till 8 p.m., 9 p.m. And then all of a sudden every day you drive up and one day it's we're closing at two, we're closing at five, we're closing at four. Now their consistent time is 1 p.m. Wow. wow. They're only open in the morning and that's, it's not universal, but there's a lot of locations like that. Our 24 hour diner is now not open any single night or any single day, 24 mm. hours. They always close. The latest is on weekends at 1 PM. Others days they're just open for breakfast. 
they've adjusted it. And, you know, that's not a bad business decision. The fact is that now, you know, on a Monday afternoon at two o'clock, if I decided I wanted to go for a snack, where do I go? Because Dunkin' Donuts and the diner are closed. But the reality is, is that it, it's changed, but pe- so is people's lives have changed. You know, very, very, very different. So on the technology also, and then I'll let you talk, Jason, because I know you got stuff. On the speed of change, I think this is remarkable. And, and there's no question, you talked about expediting change. I talk about accelerating change. You know, we're living on that exponential curve. The, the story that I give in this and talks about we're living in a 10-year rule and every 10 years, the pace of change doubles. So for a long time, and the best example of this is that, you know, certainly even when I went to school, you got a degree and, and you carried that degree. Those, light, those skills you learned in college or a postgraduate school could carry you a career 30, 40, or 50 years. Now the, the, the lifespan, the half-life of a skill is five years. The half-life of a technology skill is two and a half years. You know, it's, it's a new study that came out from uh, in Australia said that this upcoming generation will have 17 jobs in five industries. Totally agree. And all those jobs may have, it's not the same skill. It's not the same job title. Even if it's the same job title, the skills are changing. So the pace of change is, is, is beyond our comprehension, even for those of us who study it. It's that mm-hmm. this is mind blowing and and people you know, like your client tend to to still look, you know, watching life in the rearview mirror. <laughs> yeah. 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 We're uh, actually working right now on some concepts and and how can we support companies in doing this of we think it's time to just operationalize the turnover. So if we know, for example, there's some industries that have really high 30, 60, 90 day turnover, and they are running at 80, 90, 100% turnover on those lower wage frontline roles. And even before COVID, they were at maybe 40 was good. <laughs> like, right. you know, that was a good number. So now we're figuring out ways. All right. We believe in those industries. We are never going to get back below 40% turnover because of all the access, the options. I mean, not only do you have Uber and DoorDash, you know, those kind of on-demand jobs, Target is now offering on-demand jobs where you can clock in and clock out anytime you want for the holiday season because they know they're going to be short-staffed. So you've got those kind of jobs. And then a lot of people are creating Etsy shops and, (laughs) you know, doing the little side hustle type stuff as well. And so what we've, we've been working on is a way to, operationalize 40 or even 50% turnover forever moving forward. And hopefully we can get the 80 to 90 back down to 40, 50, 60. But if we just plan for, we budget, we, we systemize, right? We do all of our procedures, the onboarding, we smooth out the onboarding process and the the learning curve for people, you know, how do we put people into positions? If we know that folks don't always stay more than 90 days, fine. How do I get productivity out of somebody who's here 68 days <laughs> instead of just being frustrated that they came in and worked and only got trained, but didn't produce. Right. So how can we operationalize that shorten the learning curve and get folks productive, even if it's on one job instead of 
cross trading right out the gate, those types of things. Because I think we're going to have to plan for that and even start budgeting, which so many companies are not doing or haven't done yet, to start budgeting for what does strategic overtime look like? What does strategic investment in turnover look like rather than turnover costs being reactive on the back end like oh well they just left and there went ten thousand dollars it's interesting because and we're going to take a a quick break here and then hopefully you can stay for a few more minutes there and we'll continue on and and we'll learn about magnet you know what what the solutions are but about 20 some years ago my first really big really cool client was a call center and they had astronomical tur- turnover. They had 30 seats, two shifts. It was a smaller call center. And they hired 900, they hired 490 people for the year for basically 60, se- maximum of 60 seats, what they never can take. And they used to have a, a one week training period. And they said, we train these people all week. We actually pay them. And then they don't show up on that following Monday. Oh. So, and and we they talked about what solutions do you have? And it really was a pretty toxic environment. And, you know, we won't go into all that. But the reality of was, what it was is that we put a couple, made a couple changes and we were able to have their, their people at least show up. And I said, the goal is if you want to cut your turnover in half is all we have to do is have them stay one week. If right. we can have the people that you trained the first week <laughs> and then they stayed for another five days and then quit, we've That's cut double. turnover in half. Mm-hmm. And I said, and then we'll work on, well, so let's work on one week, then two weeks, then four weeks. Then, and it ended up where we were at like 62 days and they still complained because they still had turnover. They said, and, but they went down, they went down to, uh, I think they had 190 people that next year that they hired rather than 500. But here was, here's where it came down. Instead of having a training class every single week, they only had 10. So they had 40 weeks. Now they can actually work on retention or just take a sigh of relief, (laughs) just do something party because they didn't have people recruiting. They weren't spending money on ads. I mean, the trickle down effect that was normal. But so the story just reminded me of, you know, rather than working on the, the big number, how do we get 90 down to 50 is if you have people leaving in the first 10 days or after lunch on the first day or they don't show up is work on that problem because now if you can get them to spend, even if they stay 30 days, that's significant. You slow the flywheel and now we can focus. Now we can get away from recruiting and filling those positions all the time and and really give individuals the attention. We are going to take a really, really quick break here. Thank you for listening to Geek Skeezers Googleization. Thank you for allowing my voice to stay on. And uh, if you're not a member of Googleization Nation yet, please do so. You can go to googleizationnation.com. Um, all you need is a name and an email, and you'll get on our, our list. And we've got the, we'll, I'll talk about it real, real quickly when we come back, but I've got a webinar coming up at the end of the month, and you'll get notices about that. So right now, we're going to take a quick commercial break from Success Performance Solutions. Change doesn't pick favorites. No matter who you are or where you live, the year 2020 was filled with one unexpected challenge after another. 
According to the authors of The Adaptation Advantage, we are incredibly well-prepared for the past, but woefully unprepared for the future. That leaves millions of people feeling scared, worried, frustrated, and confused. Whether you're the owner of a business or a worker out of a job, adaptability is now an essential skill you need to ride the next wave of normal. The good news is, is that science shows that adaptability is learnable. Adaptability gives us the confidence and courage to think about change and embrace opportunity in the right way. Adaptability gives us hope for a better future. And goodness knows we need hope. Are you ready to embrace change and double down on your future? Contact Success Performance Solutions today to schedule a consultation about how you can reimagine your team's future, how you can begin to think about opportunity the right way. Hey, welcome back excusers and Googleization. We are with uh, Kara Saletto today and, of course, my co-host, Jason Cochran. We've been talking about employee retention, the great resignation, the turnover tsunami, the great reset, all those things. We got everything out on the table in the first part of the show here. Real quickly, is on the commercial, we talk, we're talking about adaptability. We're talking about change. We're talking about grit and flexibility and thinking of new problems and also the importance of the company culture, the environment making sure there's a psychologically safe space. People have to change and learn and do all these things. At the end of this month, actually the last day, November 30th, will be my next webinar. And uh, I think Roxy's going to put the uh, link across the screen here in just a second. You can go to rebrand, L-Y, rebrandly, at app to adapt Carrie, you started out talking about uh, there's you know how we live on this world mobile devices and there's an app for everything. There is no app to adapt yet, so we can't slip, <laughs> simply click on something. It may be coming down the road, but we have to physically, mentally, emotionally change the way that we that we look at at the future and look at change. So we're going to talk about all that stuff, and uh, that's the title of my program. There's no app to adapt but we're going to show you how to thrive. So let's go back. Jason, um, I have sort of dominated the first part of the show here. I know you got a couple of questions. Uh, wanted to lead in. Oh, yeah. Thanks. It's been an awesome conversation so far, Karen. And I'm sure a lot of our, our business owners who are, are listening and watching today, they're probably wondering, okay, you know, we have these things on the table that we need to deal with. What is What does Kara do, you know, at Magnet Culture and her team that helps us think through this, helps us process this and where do we start? What's the first thing we should be doing maybe? Yeah. So first things first, stop assuming. <laughs> and we've got to get real data. We've got to use good employee surveys, employee tools, even just genuine check-ins with your people for heaven's sake. Most managers don't even have time for that. And so they're not keeping their ear in, and their finger on the pulse, like they're just not listening to what's going on. And then they're blindsided by these notices that I could have told you we're coming. <laughs> you know, if you actually talk to your people, they're pretty open and honest about their frustrations these days. Most most folks who are looking are going to speak about those. So yeah, diagnosing that, just making sure that we aren't moving forward on hunches and assumptions, which is what a lot of decision makers use, and that we're gathering that proper data. So the diagnose piece is first. And then we Sarah, have can a I can I just interrupt you right there? Yeah, please. Is, is there a particular metric? that you track? I mean, is there is one who that you really recommend people look at? So I'm not talking as much about the quantitative as I am the qualitative of listening to your people, because it's one thing to try to manage behind spreadsheets and dashboards, which I love 
I love that we can get that quantitative data, but to really look at what people are saying about, you know, the biggest thing is management. Management, good management can take care of a lot of other problems, right? Oh, it's a scheduling issue. Oh, it's a work-life balance issue. Oh, I have conflict with my team. I don't like this uniform you make me wear. You know, whatever those things are, if you have a great manager, they can take care of that stuff, you know, feeling appreciated and valued in your role and whether you want autonomy or more direction and a good manager is going to know and adapt to those things. So, so yeah, I'm not as interested from the employee survey side on the quantitative as I am the qualitative of what, what people actually think and where they're going with that. So yeah, we start with diagnosing and then our magnet framework, M-A-G-N-E-T, is management effectiveness. First and foremost, that's where you get the most bang for your buck on investing in retention strategies is make your bosses suck less. Okay, that's it. <laughs> Like <laughs> that's where you should be spending most of your dollars is on that piece. Attraction and recruiting. Of course, we do need to find good candidates and be in the right places. Simple stuff that drives me crazy. Like people's career pages are still not mobile friendly. And I mean, just one-on-one type things that I'm still seeing over and over that they don't have a process in place for keeping track of their applicants, right? A proper applicant tracking system and, and being able to communicate with the candidates throughout that period as well. That's really important. The G is probably the second biggest area right now. We call that guidance upon entry, which is about the onboarding process, the new hire experience. I would say right, right below management effectiveness and training leaders would be revamping, reworking and improving that onboarding experience. Because just like Iris said earlier, when we talk to people about 30, 60, 90 day turnover, if we can keep them six months, that doubles or triples the length of tenure, even though the leaders look at that and go only six months. No, we can't be profitable if people are only staying six months. And I say, but they're not even staying 90 days right now. So how about we start with that target? <laughs> you know, let's let's go there first. And a lot of times it just comes down to the new hire experience was terrible. They it was just compliance based. Check, check, check. Nobody had time to talk to them. Nobody had time to mentor them. They didn't have a proper training plan in place. And then they were thrown to the wolves, sink or swim. You know, people are still using those old school models that are not appropriate anymore. Right. So that's a big one. New staffing models is the N and magnet. And that comes down to how do you schedule your people and how do you advance your people, right? So if we look at like the organizational chart and the shifts, even just shifting the start and end time of certain shifts that works better for today's workforce, especially people that have kids, you know, if you have, let's say a 12 hour shift, but the daycares in your town are only open 12 hours, People can't work that shift if they have kids. There's not community support to get them and pick them up at the right time. So really looking at shift lengths, shift times, and then the advancement opportunities for people. How can we build out level one, level two, level three, so that people can advance even within one job? They, they can get a promotion and still be doing the same job, believe it or not. But we, we cut that years ago because everybody wanted a flat hierarchy, which is terrible. <laughs> Now that's terrible because then there's no room for advancement, which is part of why people are bouncing so quickly. 
The E is empowered champions because nobody owns retention. Everybody's finger pointing like HR, you need to fix that. HR goes, no, I brought in great people. Management's the problem. They're scaring off my good people, you know, and there's just a lot of finger pointing. So empowering specific retention champions. We actually have a job description, a sample job description of a retention specialist. Like you should hire this person internally and that would be the person to drive these conversations, to revamp the onboarding, to build out the advancement model, you know, all of those kind of things. Because right now nobody's doing it. Nobody's got time. And then the T of magnet is building trust through transparency. So ensuring that we are much more open and candid and transparent and communicative with our staff now more than ever because the staff can't read your mind. They don't know how it's always been done or what your unwritten expectations are. And then the staff miss the mark and get in trouble and wonder, why did I get in trouble? Nobody told me that I couldn't do that. (laughs) So we have to build the trust and build the understanding and set the expectations. And all of that comes through transparency and better communication. That's an incredible model, Kara. And the first one you talked about, don't make assumptions. One of the big ones I'm hearing right now, and I'm curious if if you've heard it, and Ira, you too, I'm hearing some leaders say, we're doing flexible or remote work. This should fix our problem. Ah. Because this is what people want. And then I start sharing with them some statistics about what we have on remote work so far. It's like, yes, people want remote work, but they need help in order for it to be successful. Yeah. And some of the statistics, statistics around it are a third of employees feel invisible when they're working from home. There's less time with direct managers, about 6.1 days to their manager on average is how long it is before they have an interaction. Wow. Working an extra 4.6 hours on average, you know, per week working remotely. And so, you know, sometimes these assumptions can fill our heads as leaders of, hey, everybody wants to be working remotely or they want flexibility. We'll give it to them and that's going to fix the problem when in reality it's okay. Yes, we should be doing that. But now we need to take take a deeper look. We need to listen to them like you were saying. And we can't just assume, oh, we're going to throw you into remote work. This is going to solve our retention problems. Are you hearing anything from leaders that are making those calls and saying, hey, we did this. This should be leading to better results. Yeah, absolutely. Especially on the flexibility and the work from home for the organizations that have that, that option. The problem comes back to the manager's are not yet given, they haven't been given the tools to be successful as a manager of remote workers. Now, my team has been remote and in various states, right? Not even down the street, but just across the country for almost nine years. And I manage in a very intentional way with my remote team. I would never go six days. Are you kidding me? Without talking to people, I feel bad if I skip a second day in a row, you know, because I want to talk to them daily or every other day at least. And if I get to a third day, I'm like, I miss you so much. I haven't talked to you in two whole days, you know, because I know that of course they would feel invisible. They've been working by themselves for the last 48 hours. And so I think that's another area for training. It's another area to listen to your people. Now, you don't want to check in on them all the time because then that'll just come across as micromanaging. Like, what are you doing now? What are you doing now? Where are you on this? (laughs) You know, that's not good. But you want to check in with your people, not on your people. And just saying, how is it going? Are there any roadblocks you've hit? 
one of the things that I started doing years ago, and I've been sharing this now that more people are working remote, ask everyone on your team to keep a questions for Kara list or a questions for Jason list, right? Whoever their boss is, or even other team members as well. And it keeps some of the clutter out of the inbox from them asking random non-time sensitive questions. And that way, when I randomly call, because some of our team calls are scheduled and then other times I just call when I'm traveling and, and whatnot. And when I call, then I can say, what's on your list? And they can go through the three, four, five, or 10 things that they've collected since we last talked. It kept three to 10 emails out of my inbox. It gives us some talking points when we do connect via phone and then batches that discussion and doesn't make us bounce back and forth from different things all the time. So that's just one tip that remote managers need to think differently about how they're communicating with people, what tools they're using. We implemented a new project management tool, you know, like a software project management software so that the left hand knows what the right hand is doing because some of our staff are even on different schedules because they work part time and we can't always get together even on Zoom. So we we've had to implement some tools that make that environment better. And I had to realize that as a manager that they needed some more tools and some more communication channels to use. I appreciate you. You kind of summed that up. And I think one of the big mistakes that people make, one of the assumptions that people make is that uh, we're going to either be remote or in person. And then, but that hybrid experience yeah. where that flexible workplace is, there's so many variations. And we struggled with managers being highly effective in the in-person environment. They're learning how to do the remote environment. And then you combine that and it's not, oh, we only have to do halfway. Oof. It's a whole new ball game of when yeah. you have some people working remote and some people are there and you're trying to have a meeting and, and yeah. people in the office are on Zoom talking to the people that are still at home. And, and how do you manage all that and then bring somebody new into that environment? And, and I'm going to pile onto that, Ira. The best part is we've taken away managers time to even be managers because we've piled their plates so full with productive hours because we have to do more with less. And so that has created a, I can't even say the word on the show. Yep. <laughs> right? it's a shift. Okay. As I talk about it, it's a shift show, right? That's it. A shift show. Thank you. That's exactly where I was going with that. And so, yeah, one of my new keynotes and new pieces that I'm working on, it's, it's a, it's called the workforce wake up call. And I just delivered that at a national conference last week. And I'm telling these folks, we have to give managers their job back. We have to take productive stuff off of managers, bring back those people that we used to call frontline leaders, you know, like some of the People would consider them the fluffy middleman. We don't need them. We'll just rid of the fluff, the assistant managers and the frontline leaders, and then everybody will just do their job. Well, no, we need management. We need supervision. We need communication. We need to build trust. We need to do team building for heaven's sake, which everybody is missing. And I'm not talking about marshmallows and spaghetti yep. towers, yep. right? We but need. it's just true camaraderie that we need so that our team members have each other's back. Because right yep. now, especially in that 30, 60, 90 day churn environment, 
they don't even know each other, let alone have each other's back if somebody needs help. Doesn't happen. Kara, we are just getting wound up and we <laughs> fortunately have about a minute to get off the air. So really appreciate you being here. Love to have you back. There, there was every, every every letter you said, we can go down and we can specialize that. We can have you back for six weeks in a row and, uh, and not cover it all. What's the best way for people to get a hold of you? Oh, LinkedIn, baby. Kara Saletto. I'm the only one on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> and with the purple hair in your profile picture. Yes. I'm the only and one and, and uh, you can also check out magnetculture.com. Kara, really appreciate it. What a what a fun conversation. Love talking to you. You were reading my mind in a lot of cases, or I was reading yours, one or the other. Uh, <laughs> so, and again, would love to have you back at some point. Uh, we'll be in touch. Awesome. Thank you all, and, and good luck. Thanks, thanks Kara. Bye. And Jason, another great show. Thanks for the the wonderful introduction to Kara. And then next week, we're going to continue this. For, for those who are interested, we're going to continue the conversation about employee retention and great resignation, the great reset. And uh, hopefully you'll, you'll, again, join Geek Skeezers in Googleization. Thank you for being part of Googleization Nation. If you're not a, a subscriber yet, please do so. Go up to googleizationnation.com. Just need your name and email, and you will also get updates about uh, the Geek Skeezers and Googleization show, along with webinars. We've got our one coming up at the end of the month. No app to adapt, but we are going to show you how to get around that. Until next week, don't let the shift hit your plans.